Welcome back to the sound plays of Traversity, Demons and Demigods, Book 2 of A Bridge of Doom. If you like what we provide, please rate, review, share, and follow on your favorite platform. Questions and compliments can be sent to our email. We will respond. Say, listener, will you stake a fellow artist to a dollar? Surely everyone can spare a dollar. Though listening to these productions is free for you, providing them isn't free for me. We are completely free of advertising. If you care to help, please buy me a coffee for a dollar via the coffee.com website listed with the descriptions of each episode. All proceeds go to the theater and our production material needs. Special thanks go to our first coffee angel, Juanita Paz Chalacha. Except those wishing to remain anonymous, benefactors will be announced. And thank you truly for listening. Step through the gateway and enter the universe of the Harkin Theater. This is Episode 7. Chapter 7 Give me a hand, Bill. Art rolled the enchanter over, then grimaced with worry over the spreading stain on Gaewan's shirt. Give me some of that gauze over there. He pointed to a roll sitting on one of the lab tables. Right. Bill scrambled to grab the necessary supplies. Paul, meanwhile, was coming out of the shock of psychic domination and just stood where he was, staring dumbly at the walls, trying to comprehend everything that had happened. He had been out of touch for several moments and could only remember a voice telling him to hold Gaewan. Damn, what a mess. Art opened Gaewan's shirt. The bullet had entered his lower abdomen, the wound oozing blood. Quickly, he applied pressure with both hands to stop the bleeding. Mm. Good thing this happened in the med school. At least you're not far from a doctor. Though the prospect of explaining a gunshot wound from a suspect who had disappeared did not thrill him in the least. Authorities were very picky about such facts. 
He glanced across the room at the woman who sat under the blackboard, arms around her knees, staring with fright at nothing in particular. Art wondered what Gaewan did to her from this distance, and what that bright flash was just before she screamed. Bill arrived with the gauze, and Art turned his attention to bandaging Gaewan's wound. How bad is it? I don't know. It looks like it lodged in there somewhere. We'll have to get him down to the ER and let them handle it. He hasn't lost much blood. Shock is what's got him out right now. Easy there, fella. Don't move. While his friends worked on the enchanter, Paul saw the blonde girl sitting huddled on the floor, and he remembered Marie. Where is she, and who is this? He wandered over to take a closer look. She was incredibly beautiful, even as she shook with dark terror in her expression. As he approached, her fear eased, and she lifted her face to him. Just as he was about to ask who she was, he was looking at Marie, her adoring eyes solely on him. A wave of irresistible desire overcame him, and he knelt before her. Marie? Is it you? She smiled warmly and opened her arms to him, a deep longing radiating from her expression. I want you. So long had it been since Marie had embraced him. Paul accepted her readily, hugging her tightly, hardly able to believe. But it is her. He pulled back a little and looked into her loving expression framed by long, dark hair, seeing the desires of his heart reflected. Only Marie could have been clever enough to find a way to sneak Gaewan in here to help him. Kiss me, Paul. Take me. Her lips quivered for a moment. Kiss me. Before he knew it, Paul was pressing his mouth against hers in a deep, passionate kiss, the like of which he had never experienced before. Marie had never shown this much raw, physical passion. She reached hands around his shoulders and guided him gently onto his back. Laying herself on top, her knees clamping possessively around his waist, she clutched arms tightly around him, her tongue hungrily seeking his. Overwhelming, almost dreamlike, was the delicious sensation of her body pressing down upon him, her very flesh resonating with his beneath their clothing. All at once, his body's sexual desires were aroused to an incredible peak. At the same instant, his very spirit felt as if it was being drawn out of him and into her in an electric orgasm of incredible intensity, every nerve, every fiber of his body expelling energy in a stream of ectoplasm shooting into her. Somewhere far away, someone shouted alarm. What the hell is she doing? But Paul didn't care. He was experiencing the most fantastic sexual climax. God's heart, stop her! He was dying, and he didn't care. All that mattered was kissing his beautiful Marie, while the very life was sucked from him. A weight was lifted off his body, and the powerful climax stopped, leaving him suddenly feeling empty and very cold. 
He opened eyes to see Art and Bill dragging a strange blonde woman off of him. She hissed and spat her fury, fighting like a cat. He is mine! He is mine! I will have him! So like a wild animal she was, writhing and drooling, that Paul felt immediate revulsion with the knowledge that he had been kissing, loving, lusting for her. He crawled crab-like backwards until he bumped into the wall. Mine! Mine! I hunger! Gaewan stepped around her, one hand pressed to his side, the other holding his crystal before her eyes. The stone glimmered faintly. Its effect was immediate, the woman cringing and going rigid as she stared with utter horror. Bill and Art looked at each other in mute question, then at the enchanter. Release her, boys. She won't try anything as long as the eye of Ipaya looks upon her. She winced in pain at mention of the god's name. What is that, Gaewan? A reflection of the spirit of the Nine, a manifestation of their holy light. Let her go. Grab Paul and get him away from her. The two men complied, dropping her arms and reaching for Paul, who gaped in confusion and abhorrence at the blonde woman. Ah! As soon as they had half-dragged, half-walked him across the room, Gaewan began backing away from her in their direction, still brandishing the crystal. She shielded her eyes from it as she tried to follow, but it seemed as if a terrific heat kept her back. Maximilian, help me. Unfortunately, her plea made Gaewan glance in the direction of the unconscious doctor, and he bumped into a table corner with his wounded side. He doubled over with pain and dropped the crystal, the stone bouncing away from his immediate grasp. Gaewan! With much effort, the enchanter forced himself upright. The woman was no longer scared. She reached a hand behind her back, eyes on Paul. A curse lies on you and your friends, Prince! Silence, worthless creature! Gaewan pointed a finger of warning at her. If you value your continued existence in this world, tell me when the gate opens for your summoned one. Wine all you want, insect maids. <laughs> You'll be dead long before I leave this plane. She brought up the pistol that had been concealed in her clothing and, with both hands, took careful aim this time. I will have my prey. At that instant, Flaino was standing there, offering him a flower cradled in both palms. This is for you, my love. The half-elf stepped towards him, a radiant desire burning in her eyes. All determination within the enchanter eroded upon witnessing this vision of his beloved, and he could only stand there dumbly, arms dropping to his sides. Yet there was an urgent tugging in his chest, and he was reminded of the bolt of lightning in the river of black on the inner plains. Reflexively, she had fired the gun in the direction of the shattered beaker, the bullet embedded harmlessly in the plaster. Furious, she dared to make herself in the image of Flaina. Gaewan lifted hands and molded power, delving into his inner strengths and forcing an enchantment through and beyond his pain. You can't harm me, weakling! She turned and took aim again, her blue eyes maniacal. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.
A streak of light flashed towards her, a ball of gold fire detonating where she stood, the room shaking. The remaining ammunition in the pistol exploded in the chamber to the instant scorching heat while the four men watched as a charred body dropped to the floor. The desk nearby, covered with stacks of paper, was now engulfed in flames. Almost completely spent from his invocation, Gaewan slumped to his knees and bowed his head. Ugh. Wow. Uh, Good God. Uh, what was that? Magic. Very powerful magic. And for the first time, Bill thought he believed in it. Ah! Paul shook them out of their amazement. Marie! He staggered across the room, oblivious to the flames, and stood over the burned corpse that still gripped the gun in what was left of blackened fingers. Marie? Art and Bill scrambled for fire extinguishers and sprayed CO2 fog, quickly quenching the flames before any sprinklers could activate. Marie! Taking pity on his friend, Gaewan struggled to his feet, collected his crystal, and made his way to Paul's side. You killed her? You killed Marie? No, that was not Marie. That was not Marie? But I saw her. I, I touched her. I kissed her. We were going to make love. Art released the trigger on his extinguisher, then wandered over to join Paul and Gaewan, trailing the bright red tank behind him, and, having never been affected by the sight of corpses or bleeding flesh, looked with detachment over the gruesome remains of the blonde woman. Noticing something odd about her shoulders, he nudged the body over with his foot, ignoring his horrified uh, friends. Uh. Hey, look at this. Hmm? With the toe of his shoe, he pushed aside charred clothing to reveal strange growths on the shoulders that seemed to have been ligaments and extensions at one time. The coarseness of the protrusion and interrupted lines clearly suggested appendages that had been clipped off. Two lines of cut and scarred ligament and muscle could just be detected down the back between the shoulder blades. What sort of deformity is that? Clipped wings. He had sensed she was not human, but had not known exactly what sort of creature she had been. A succuba. What? A succuba. Hmm. Gaewan nodded to himself with disgust. You only find this stuff in mythology. A succuba is a kind of demon described as being able to assume the shape of any woman. She lures men into her clutches usually with incredible beauty, then drains their life energy with a kiss. Well, the male version is called an incubus. The only thing that would give one away was its large, bat-like wings, which apparently someone took care of here. What? Paul remembered Brent and Marie's lustful discussion. A rare but potent adversary, especially when they have a warlock in their association. Gaewan leaned against the wall and pressed a hand to his side again. The ache was deep and insistent. I don't believe it. Wait a minute. 
Are you saying that I've been in love with some kind of monster? Marie was never a real woman? You haven't listened, Paul. I told you she was not Marie. She merely assumed Marie's shape in order to lure you close enough for the two of them to poison you. I almost forgot. That room you saw in your crystal. What room? Kaywon was looking for Marie earlier and he saw two images in his crystal. We were going to look for it when Brynth broke into my room, assaulted Gaywan, and then knocked me out. Why were those two trying to harm you? Check out the pentagram, Bill. The professor's a devil worshipper. Or something like that. They were going to sacrifice me, I suppose. They kept saying the name Sokandra, their leader, I guess. And if you guys hadn't crashed in here, I would have been doped out cold. But if this girl were no girl, like you say, then what is the doctor? Let's look him over. Art hopped up from his squat next to the dead succuba and approached the limp figure of Dr. Maximilian Brent sprawled on the floor near the pentagram. The doctor's hands still clutched his throat as he lay face down on the hard linoleum tile. Art gingerly ran his fingers over the man's pockets. Give me a hand at turning him over. Limp hands flopped away from Brent's neck onto the floor. Boy, he's out cold. What did you do to him? Only that which was done to me. Remind me not to ever make you angry. The young man patted Brent's shirt. An arm came around suddenly and knocked him back. And with a sardonic grin, the doctor's eyes popped open. I'm not finished yet, children. He frowned and stared hard at each of them. Gaywan came out of a momentary stupor to see the others staring blankly at the space on the floor where Brynth had been just a moment ago. Or has it been just a moment? A sense of time loss accompanied the return to his surroundings. Ah. Paul, Bill, and Art blinked several times as they came around. Good Lord! Paul looked at the outer office doors left hanging open. He's gone! Bill shook his head. This is getting to be very unreal. Gaywan hadn't expected this latest turn. He sought a clear space along the wall on which to lean, dug into his pockets for the healing potion from Flaina, and considered their next moves. Planning was not easy with the unknown factor of Brent's capabilities. Psychic domination, the only explanation for what had just occurred. There was no way of knowing the extent of his powers, except that he had just stunned four men and slipped away. And it was clear Paul was valuable to the doctor, therefore he would be coming back, probably with reinforcements. Bill noticed the enchanter taking a sip from the silver vial in his hands. I could use a drink, too. Warmth pulsed in Gaewan's stomach from the potion. Mm. He had taken a sizable swallow mm. and sent tingling wisps into his limbs and his head, clearing the fogginess that had gathered from the blood loss, yet it made his wound sting worse. He wondered at the lingering, deteriorating effect of the magic weapon being able to cut him with an invisible knife and leave a black worm eating away at his gut. He was reminded of his nightmare and wondered if he had inadvertently intervened to the point of receiving the worm meant for Paul. The physicians of this world must be able to handle such an injury. 
a presumption he made by judging the other's reactions to his condition, concerned but not troubled. Therefore, he decided to push the matter aside for the more immediate problem of finding Marie. If only the potion will keep me steady for a little while. The prospect of another confrontation with Brinth did not serve to ease his mind. He could take care of himself, he was sure, but Paul, magically and psychically defenseless, was extremely vulnerable to the warlock's black magic. Absently, he touched the lump in his shirt and was suddenly struck by the obvious remedy. Huh. Rothson's transfer key. Yes. Without another thought, he removed the chain from around his neck. Let's find Marie. Paul finally tore his eyes away from the spot where Brynth had vanished so abruptly. What about Gaywan? I'll be all right for the moment. Necklace dangling from his hands, the enchanter approached Paul. We must find Marie before Brynth gets to her. What's that? Paul stopped upon seeing the familiar. Marie's protector? You've had it? It was given to me only recently, a legacy of Master Rothson. I now give it to you, Paul. Me? Why? To shield you from the power of the warlock, my friend. Do you accept it? Paul's mind was a turmoil of memory and possibility to actually hold the one device capable of taking him back to Fayek. All he needed was Marie at his side. Eagerly he reached for it, then saw the look in Gaewan's eyes as he shook his head. This stopped him. Mm, you will not be able to use it for that. Not, not yet. yet. I wouldn't recommend trying either. You would find it most painful. The time will come, my friend. Gaewan wanted to say, but did not dare take the responsibility. I've too much of that already. Try what? Art looked on with envy. Having witnessed this man's magical abilities, he was sure this must be a thing of great power. At the same instant, he brushed his fingers lightly over the lapis lazuli inlaid silver medallion necklace he always wore, a gift from his mother that had become a part of his everyday clothing as well as formal dress, and a distant thought wondered at any possible significance in its similarity to what Gaewan bestowed upon Paul. Never mind, Art. I'll explain later. He accepted the serpentine chain of silver and draped it around his neck, admired it for a moment, then slid it beneath his shirt. How do I, um, use it? You don't. Just let it be within your sphere. Whatever you do from now on, do not remove it. Really wild. Now, we must hurry. Brynth will be returning. Where to? Sub-basement, room 002.
Traversity, Demons and Demigods, Part 1. Sound plays of the second novel were written, recorded, directed, mastered, and produced by Kurt Paul Hotelling. Copyright 2023. Character voices for Episode 7 are performed by Matthew Zachariah Tunai, Arthur William Bloxham Jr., Geraldine Cummings, Julia Catherine Teen, Kevin Norris, Aridel Hotelling, and H, the Great and Powerful. The sextology of novels are available through Amazon.com, on Kindle Books, can be ordered at your favorite bookseller, or can be purchased directly from the author at best price. Merely submit a request to our email. The wonderful music for this episode of the Harkin Theater was composed and performed by the ensembles of Evan McDonald, Mocha Music, and licensed by PremiumBeat.com. Public domain music performances are licensed under Lieber Lieber Creative Commons. Sound effects and original foley provided by freesound.org, mix kit of Victoria, Australia, Cusp Studios, and the BBC Library. This was recorded on location in the universe.